0: Hey, assalamu alaikum, peace. It's Imran here. Long time no listen. Well, we're back, obviously. And uh, you're probably expecting me to talk about uh, issues related to the heart and the head. That's right, isn't it? That's what I said at the end of the last episode. Sorry, but that's not what this is. Don't worry. I'll still be addressing how to balance the heart and the head when it comes to making decisions about relationships in a future podcast but the reason I've shelved it is for good reason and that's because a podcast favorite Ilyas Kamani, is back and firing on all cylinders now the last time we heard from Ilyas was probably over a year ago maybe a year and a half ago where we kind of broke down different elements of relationships between the within the Muslim community Now, you would have got a good insight into his approach, his style. Some of you will like it, some of you not. But essentially, he pulls no punches. And that's why I thought it'd be useful to get Elias back on the podcast, because he's not somebody who minces his words, and he's somebody who is absolutely a practitioner. A practitioner in the field of, well, I mean, we can list them, really. He's run anti-extremist programs for young people in institutes. He's run drug dependency awareness programs within the Muslim community. He regularly acts as an expert witness at court in in uh, terrorism cases. He's a part-time imam. He's also a marriage counsellor, a relationship prepper, psychosexual counsellor, public speaker and FGM activist. I'm sure there's some stuff I've missed out. Oh yes and of course he's a He's a father of five, mashallah. Um, Now, Elias and I uh, were speaking uh, the other day and it occurred to me that really what we were speaking about should form the basis of a podcast episode because I felt it was uh, relevant and important. And if I think it's relevant and important, then I will bring it to you. So in this episode, we discuss something called the manosphere. Now, some of you may have come across this word before Uh, but just so that we're all on the same page let's take a relatively neutral definition from wikipedia and it's as follows the manosphere is a collection of websites blogs and online forums promoting masculinity misogyny and strong opposition to feminism communities within the manosphere include men's rights activists involuntary celibates incels Men going their own way, magtails, pickup artists, and fathers' rights groups. Now, hearing that, you're probably thinking, possibly thinking, well, some of that has a little bit of a negative slant, and some of it seems pretty normal. I mean, who wouldn't advocate for fathers' rights? But as you'll find in this episode, Elias has been into some pretty dark spaces within the internet, in order to really uncover what the Manosphere represents. Where it's come from, what it is, and where it's headed. What its potential dangers are for the wider community, and also specifically for the Muslim community. So you're probably asking, what has this got to do with this podcast series? Well, let me give you a quote. A quote from Shakespeare, actually. Uh, that makes me sound smarter than I am. Uh, it's just a quote that i've I've kind of lodged in my brain and I think is relevant, and it goes like this: "When there is no strength left in men, women may fall. When there is no strength left in men, women may fall." It's a line from Romeo and Juliet and is essentially a conversation between Friar Lawrence and Romeo after Romeo met Juliet and the Friar blames Romeo for his fickleness because he was obsessed with Rosalind just before and now he's madly in love with Juliet and Friar reproaches his pupil for changing his mind, um, changing his mind easily and being dominated by his emotions and being dominated by his emotions. He warns him not to expect for sincerity or faithfulness from women while being himself inconstant. Interesting, huh? Uh, and the other reason I think this is uh, this is relevant, because I think a lot of you uh, obviously listen, because you might relate actually to the subjects covered personally. But I think also you're interested in the wider health of the community. Um, you have that concern. And the two kind of overlap, because when we're healthy as a community, then we're largely going to be healthy as as individuals, which make it more likely that we enter into healthy relationships. And that can only be something worth aspiring to. So this might sound like a heavy one. And yes, some of the subjects we talk about are dark. Um, So I guess that's a trigger warning. But overall, it's a meandering, semi-lighthearted take on subjects that essentially need to be spoken about. If you're not sure it's for you, give it 10 minutes and see how you feel. My guess it probably will be. As usual, get in touch at divorcedmuslimdad at gmail.com with your feedback and suggestions. Um, just uh, just count to ten uh, before you do. So this is Season 2, Episode 3, Boys Will Be Boys. I see a red and I want it into black Anymore, I want them to turn black I see the girls go by dressed in their summer clothes I have to turn my head until my darkness goes I see a line of cars and they're all painted black With flowers and my love hope, never to come back
1: happening in the manosphere this this really toxic online ecosystem of millions and millions of you know kind of participants who are promoting more or less what we call fascist fascism and misogyny you know and and it only came to the forefront with this whole idea of incel you know the Plymouth shooting last year last August do you remember that
0: yeah you know what you know when you were speaking there about Kind of the the dark side of the manosphere that's the first thing that came to mind the the incel movement yeah yeah
1: and obviously there's been i think about 10 incidents of incel violence in the last couple of years you know where people who uh, have gone down that rabbit's hole and they they call it the black pill we'll come on to that you know it ends up in what i call a very nihilistic space where basically you know they're saying either you go on a rampage and we've seen that obviously in america we've seen quite a number of these mass killings uh, in the name of incel I uh, started off with this guy called Elliot Rogers in 2008. and uh, But then the other thing they're saying is that, you know, put a rope around your neck, you know, that they actually actively invite men and said, look, there's no point. You know, you are finished. You're an insult. You have no hope of competing in what they call a sexual marketplace. Just finish it. And so, you know, when you talk about toxicity, I'm, you know, Imran, I just want to say, you know, you know the work that I do. I work with trauma. I work around issues around terrorism, I work with issues around child sexual exploitation, trafficking, you know, I do a lot of this kind of stuff, yeah, but the stuff that I you know, because I did a deep dive into the Manosphere and what was in the Manosphere and the kind of content that was in there and even, I didn't, you know, even the mid, the, the kind of like shallow dive, yeah, it did my head in, you know, I read, it really did my head in, I said, is this how far we've gone backwards with this kind of you know totally fascist misogynistic view of the world and look I'm not you know I don't want people to say oh this is just another kind of pro feminist web webcast no no this is about people realizing what's going on and you you know I think you and I have both watched the series the handmaid's tale yeah yeah of course yeah what
0: what, what did you make of handmaid's tale well to be honest it was a little bit close to home <laughs> I just, you know I mean, uh, kind of... I mean could you imagine a world like that um you know I, When I was watching it, I was thinking, wow, so somebody's been able to articulate kind of the psychological experience that I had when I was younger, um, you know, in terms of like viewing the world through this kind of quasi-religious, fascist kind of lens. Mm. And I was watching it and I was thinking, you know, even some of the greetings that they had between them, I thought, is this some kind of... Covert anti-Islamic type thing because I'd never read uh, Margaret Atwood's uh, *Handmaid's Tale*, right? Uh Um, But then, you know, obviously, as as I watch it, it's actually it's it's obviously not really anything to do with Islam. It's just to do with with a particular way of thinking. And um, yeah, and watching it, and I thought, gosh, you know, you can see how things can very easily deteriorate into a situation where that may actually be possible. And that was, and mm. I watched it during the Trump era, yeah. right, where I thought, okay, this is, unless you're careful, you know, you, you always hear things like expressions like, you know, democracy is, is very fragile, and you need to yeah. work for it kind of thing. And you don't oh, really appreciate that until you get these kind of demagogues in place. Mm-hmm. And then you realize, you know, like Johnson and Trump, and then you realize, oh, okay, that could happen. So yeah, I, I get where you're coming from.
1: Uh, It did happen. That's the whole point, Imran. It did happen. It's called it's called it's called Nazi. Nazi, The Nazi era. Yeah,
0: sorry, I'm referring to like moving forwards. But yeah, of course, it did happen.
1: Yeah, yeah, it it did happen, and it can happen, and people do want it to happen. And this whole Gilead, that that Gilead kind of paradigm, is really at the heart of the manosphere. Is what essentially, and I'm talking about the more extreme elements, obviously, is uh, is really the world that people want, where women are obviously completely disempowered and uh, men have full entitlement, okay? Sexual atti- uh, entitlement and privilege. And uh, and there is what we call compulsory sex, yeah? That women have no option but to provide compulsory sex. And obviously in the Nazi era, and this is linked to eugenics as well, yeah? That in the Nazi era, you know, you had the pairing of male and female uh, to, pro- to, to basically breed the master race, yeah? And that, that's the whole concept of, you know, blood, it's called blood and und Boden, blood and soil, yeah, that you know, the whole role is to procreate and create these robust, robust families for this vision of the, the Third Reich, the Third Holy Roman Empire, to taking over the world and things like this, yeah. And you're right, there are kind of elements of that that world, that, that kind of worldview that, you're right, people subscribe to. And, you know, let's be honest, what was ISIS except that perversion you know Isis again just wanted to have this particular view of the world and there are people who feel that this is the, the the view of the world that they want and it's the fact that at the heart of what happens when a man becomes disempowered and emasculated and feels that the, that they they cannot have a place in the world that they have been told that they should have okay it creates this aggrieved entitlement and Michael Kimmel wrote about in his book I don't know if you remember his book yeah angry white
0: men no, no, I haven't read that. Yeah,
1: basically he predicted the whole Trump thing, did Michael Kimball? Michael Kimmel is a professor of uh, gender studies and he's written extensively on, on this area. But, you know, it's actually in his book, Angry White Men, you know, uh, he's talking about you have a group of people who have a grieved entitlement. You know, I think he says this is what he's, he says. You, you know, we have a group of people united by a central thing, a grieved entitlement and anger that I, I used to have privilege. That's what he's saying. I used to have privilege. This was my birthright to be in the top of the food chain, and now American society has made me the same as black people, as women, as minority groups, and that you know. So basically, you know, I want I want to take it back.
0: Mm. You
1: know, that's the whole. What was basically essentially, you're right. Uh, Handmaid's Tale. The backdrop is, you know, the Trump presidency and and what the Trump pres- presidency basically you know, kind of uh, uh, the Pandora's box it opened up in terms of, you know, really this underbelly of aggrieved uh, and loss of privilege. And, you know, and, and and I want you to think about it in our community. You know, when you're grown up, you grow up, yeah? Mm. Okay. And you're told all your life, you're top of the food chain. You're this, you will have whatever you want. You'll get the, the, the bride, you will, we'll get you the bride that you want. We'll get you this, we'll get you that. You feel like, you know what, I've been brought up to be Chaudhary Saab or whatever all my life, to mm-hmm. inherit, you know, this mantle. And then, you know, you come into the real world and you realise, you know what, I didn't get my qualifications, I didn't get this, I didn't get that, I've been left behind, you know, socioeconomically, economically I've been left behind culturally, I've been left behind, uh, you know, intellectually, all of these things, because these women are doing so well, yeah? And look, you know, this, uh, you know, I'm here, okay, and she's got a master's degree and she's got this. I feel profoundly emasculated and she pr- can, has twice my earning power. But I was told by my mother all my life, yeah, that I am the king of the castle. I am a male. I am privileged. What what do you think it does to a, a mindset when you feel that's happening? And then, then the girls start saying, you know what? Before it used to be these arranged marriages, yeah, and obviously there was an element of, you could say, family pressure, let's be honest. And uh, you know, now women are saying, you know what, not interested. And there's therefore there's a lot of men who then get left behind and they end up in a very toxic space. Now they can do two things. There's one part of the manosphere which talks about you need to max yourself out to improve your potential in the sexual marketplace, improve yourself. So there's a part of it around empowerment, which I can Mm -hmm. see is quite valid. And Jordan Peterson, I think, creates a buffer zone in the man- manosphere by providing a, a place where he says, look, guys, just sort yourself out, get your act together, improve your life, empower yourself, improve yourself, develop yourself. And then you know what? You're going to be better off on a, on a social level in terms of identifying on, and, and you know securing a, a, a partner in your life. So, okay, I can see that there's a the healthy part of it. The, what happened with the Plymouth guy is that he's there. And he said, I went to the gym. I can't lose weight. I can't get a job. I can't get, you know, this. I haven't got a good life. You know, feels, feels worthless. Mm. And he's in that space. And he's saying that guys are saying, look, you are finished. You are, you know, you've taken the black pill. There is no hope for you. You are, you know, never going to be able to, 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 to secure this. Sorry, is this,
0: is this black pill, like a riff on the red pill, blue pill thing?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, what it is is this yeah, the red pill, blue pill, obviously usurped from the uh, matrix, matrix, yeah, and used by the alt right. Okay, and basically, you take the red pill, you're gonna go, you're gonna wake up to the fact that you know what, society is lying to you in the manosphere. The red pill is used as a concept to wake up that you know what, everything was stacked against you. Western feminism has gone too far in the empowerment of women at the detriment of your entitlement and your privilege. And that's why the vast majority of people who are on the manosphere obviously are white males. Yeah, you know, it's a predominantly white male. But obviously, it does attract people from all manner of diverse backgrounds. And you have certain people from the Muslim community you have, who are who are part of the Muslim manosphere who are advocating the same kind of concepts. And this is, this is one I want to kind of touch on today. Yeah, that these concepts of what we call high value men, sexual marketplace, and 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 the need obviously to uh you know uh, kind of attract women and this, uh, these are ideas totally against our religion yeah and so muslims consuming these ideas uncritically yeah uh, uh, is, is very very problematic and in fact any any man let, let, us, let us be clear yeah you know but uh, but it's predominantly white male and it has a very strong kind of you could say connection with the alt right here yeah? uh you know when you looked at the charlottesville you know unite the right uh, kind of uh, rally that took place where one person was killed. Dia Khan covered that in her documentary on 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 white might and white supremacy or supremacism. Yeah, you know those are the kind of elements of people who are then pulled into the into the manosphere as well. Predominantly white males who feel a loss of privilege and therefore this needs to be regained. But coming back to the question I kind of pushed to you, I mean, you know, this this thing that you know in our community we have these guys who feel that they've been really left behind and they can't get married, okay? Or they had, let's say, an arranged marriage, and in the arranged marriage, and I always say this in my counselling, what happens is that obviously the marriage breaks up after, you know, they had a couple of kids and marriage breaks up because basically, you know, there was they were not really compatible with one another. And gen- usually in these kind of situations, yeah, the female uh, becomes very empowered. She's, you know, moves on in her life and the man's just left behind and he feels quite disempowered. And unfortunately... The only way he asserts his control is often through abuse, emotional abuse, emotional control, and physical violence. Uh, it's a very common pattern, unfortunately, yeah, you know. So the point I'm saying here is this. What's happening to these guys, yeah, who, you know, feel this aggrieved entitlement and feel this loss of privilege and feel that, you know what, I've been told all my life I'm supposed to be at the top of the food chain and I'm not. What happens to these guys in our community?
0: Is this, would you say this is an individual failing or a societal failing? It is. It is a cultural
1: societal failing because basically we have a paradigm, and this is what we call hegemonic, the the, hege- the hegemony of our community. That we ha- we have a model in our community that if you achieve this particular status, in terms of in socio economic terms, let's let's be honest. Yeah, the the kind of hegemonic model in our community, yeah, is that if you have money, and position, and status, and bank balance, and house, and car, then you know what you have. The woman, and then you have the family. You have Izzet. yeah. Now the reality is, yeah, in our community, yeah, uh, how many men? Because of the socioeconomic problems in our community and the underachievement in the education system, let's be honest. Mm. Most, many men in our community are not able to achieve the hegemonic uh, standard of this is what it means to be a man,
0: mm. and
1: so therefore they are already in deficit. They're already so that that's part of it is that you know we have an unreasonable South Asian community, more so. You know, look, the idea of what it means to be a man is to be a provider, to be, you know, to be conspicuously wealthy, conspicuously wealthy, not just wealthy, you have to be conspicuously. You've got to have a big car, you've got a big house, all the kind of stuff, yeah. Mm. You've got to be doctor, lawyer, solicitor, whatever, pharmacist, optometer, whatever it is. You've got to have a whole range of professions, yeah. Mm. You know, failure to meet those means that you, you know, and and then your mother's looking at you and thinking, yeah, what kind of putter are you, yeah? What kind of is it do you have? What kind of status do you have? But because in our community, yeah, someone who is doesn't meet the hegemonic standard, guess what? They're still gonna get married. It's unlike if someone doesn't meet the hegemonic standard in the mainstream community, basically they're left behind. Where in our community, you know, even a guy who's got nothing yeah, guess what? He's gonna get married because there's a cousin in Pakistan because he's got one
0: thing which gives him privilege. You know what that is, Jimmy? Go on. A British passport, mate. <laughs> right it's a little bit less valuable these days
1: well the fact of the matter is it's still going to pull it's going to get him a bride it's still going to get him a woman and then so it's gonna, this is essentially what we call compulsory like, you know our cultural framework stuff but obviously it doesn't provide for a healthy you know no one this is real talk to me no one wants to talk about this stuff
0: yeah i mean like, is, this, uh, is it what you're saying here this particular example um yeah you see when i listen to that i don't mix in those circles Right, I mean, I'm not from that family background, and I know you're kind of in the heart of a South Asian community, and you get a lot of this. Is this kind of something that's dying off, or you, or is actually you're seeing an increased caseload?
1: Well, look, by... look, I think I think what we're still seeing is this. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That kind of traditional model is probably dying off. Yeah, in, in certain of the Muslim heartlands around the country. Yeah, communities with extended brotherly where brotherly is still very, very powerful, then you're still having you know obviously people marrying from abroad. Okay. And and essentially, the men who marry from abroad, they they generally say that look, I couldn't find someone here, which I always find a bit strange because <laughs> there is plenty of women here, but obviously the women here are just not going to accept what's being offered, yeah. And yeah. so you know that's part part of the issue, yeah. yeah. And uh, and I, I just want to kind of get into a headspace yeah, where you know someone's in that headspace where they can't get married, they they're not and and just introduced this concept of what I call the sexual marketplace, yeah, which in this context basically means this, yeah. This you know, choosing a partner, there's a marketplace out there. In the marketplace, essentially a woman will always choose, yeah, and they call this hypergamy, yeah. H- uh, hypergamy, yeah? A woman is always gonna choose a better partner, isn't she? Mm. And and I, I and I wanna make it clear that from an Islamic point of view, choosing a better partner is a holistic concept. It's not a socio-economic concept in the Western sense, in the Western industrialized sense. It's a it's a socioeconomic, You know, she's going to look which guy is going to sustain me for the longest period of time in the lifestyle that I want, and she's going to see well, these are the top five percenters, yeah,
0: hmm.
1: and so therefore she's inevitably going to be attracted to that. So there's a, basically it was a bit of a Pareto rule here: is that twenty percent of men get eighty percent of women, hmm. okay. That's the problem, because twenty percent of men are what they call high value men within the Western material sense
0: mm. you
1: know? and uh, and so as a result of that, you've got a lot of men who are denied women and and they feel then very, very aggrieved as a result of that because they don't want to go for for what they perceive as lesser women, you know they want to have a higher what they call higher quality women as well. yeah, anyway, within our cultural paradigm, yeah, the reality of the matter is, yeah, you know, it's less of that 80-20 because we have, you know, these cultural factors, which mean arranged marriages can take place and people get married, yeah? And, um, you know, but again, there's still men who get left behind or men who have gone into relationships through arranged marriages which haven't worked out and then cannot get remarried and are divorced or for a long period of time. And then there's all the family problems that we're talking about, family separation, divorce, not seeing kids and all this kind of stuff, Yeah. I wanna I want you to talk about who's talking to those men. Mm. Who's engaging those men in a healthy way? And remember, these men in our community will have mental health issues, will have issues around deprivation, underachievement, disempowerment. Okay. There's a lot of issues that that are affecting them. These are men who are angry, sometimes very, very disgruntled, feel things are against them. We go into now what called the Joker paradigm. You know, obviously these cultural reference points, and I think the Joker film is a really powerful reference point because it's saying that sometimes you have men who try to do everything to try to just make it work and this guy's saying i'm doing everything to make it work it's not working it's not working and it comes a point where you just then the darkness just takes over you know and and i think this is where i'm afraid the social, you know we got we've got some social vulnerabilities we've got mental health vulnerabilities we've got you know low empowerment still they can't get jobs you know, I talked to this one young guy, he's a lovely guy, yeah, and he wants to get married to someone and the families keep on saying no to him because he's a warehouse worker. He's a lovely kid, man, really lovely kid, yeah, and yeah. I'm helping him trying to – now he's got a traineeship somewhere, which is brilliant, yeah, and I uh, hope it really works for him. It's still going to take him a couple of years, but then he has to go through this traineeship a couple of years and then will that, you know, girl still be available for him that he wants to get married to? You know, perhaps not, yeah. Uh, but you know, he's fortunate. He's working with me. Yeah. And I'm kind of helping him to developing, mentoring, guiding him, supporting him. Yeah. A lot of kids, they don't get any of that at all. Okay. You know so
0: what I mean? whilst, you were, whilst you were talking about that, something came to mind, which is, you know, if you go back a generation to our parents' generation, right. Um, you know, regardless of the qualifications or the status that they may have had abroad, when they yep. came to the UK in the sixties and the seventies, um, you know, a lot of those qualifications were not recognized. And so they had to essentially start at the bottom, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my father, for example, he had an economics degree, but, you know, he ended up working in a glass factory, yeah. right, when, when he uh, came to the UK. Now, mm-hmm. the, th- the point is, is that this didn't stop that generation from uh, getting married, finding partners right? Um, You know, it's not like he needed, he had the mindset of, right, you know, I I essentially need to, uh, you know, climb up a few rungs before I'm ready to do this. It was, it it seemed to be a much simpler kind of decision-making process. Now, I'm in in no way saying that generation is the model for this Mm -hmm. generation to follow, because obviously they had their own problems, right? But, when you're talking about, you know, there's a lovely lad, you know, and well adjusted, and he's got a job, and he wants to get married. Um, But clearly, you're also saying that he's not going to, he's not really in a position to be able to form... No, he
1: is. He is. Let me tell you why he is in a position. Okay. Now, if he uh, just agrees to the cultural model, then his family will find him a partner.
0: Hmm.
1: Okay. You know, he's uh, 19 his family will find someone for him and they'll bring him over and he will get married to it. So he's got that as a choice to live in this arranged, you know, formalized kind of, you know, marriage and convenience or whatever, and just go along with it. Or he, but what he wants to do is exercise his freedom of choice to marry the person that he wants to marry, that he feels he can connect with, that he wants to fall in love with, etc., cetera, et cetera okay that's the par- that's that, that's the dichotomy here you see i mean yeah we're denying him the freedom to really be happy and we're saying that you only the old alternative you have is this and for a lot of guys they'll just accept um this is it so i'll just marry the person from abroad and then this just creates obviously you know these profoundly unfulfilling relationships sometimes it works mostly it doesn't doesn't work with you know our third and fourth generation of kids who want to express their own selves and have a right to absolutely have the freedom to express their own selves. And what you're describing with our elders' generation, their paradigm was essentially a paradigm where, you're right, irrespective of what they were doing here in the UK and what they were doing back at home, when they came here, essentially, you're right, a partner was chosen for them. You know, they didn't exercise, you say, full agency and freedom of choice. It was basically arranged marriages, uh, and they went along with it uh obviously i think it's slightly different in your case but generally the 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 situation was the, the you know the marriage was arranged for them yeah you know how many of that generation chose their own partner how many of them had love ma- what they call love marriages yeah the whole concept of the, this idea of love marriage and arranged marriage was exactly that uh, that 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 dichotomy yeah so so that's uh you know where where i think things are very different now people i know
0: are... i know that we're we're focused i mean we're focusing on this particular idea of you know maybe people are being pushed down a cultural uh kind of direct in a cultural direction where in fact they've kind of been brought up in an environment which says you have uh choice um but essentially that's this is not something that's just specific to uh that particular type of person who grows up within a cultural context because you've got no, people you've got people who are you know, working class, middle class now, um, who, you know, who've been brought up here, or maybe they're the, the third generation, you know, yeah. as, as well. Mm-hmm. So they have very little connection to their kind of their heritage, if you like. You know, probably barely speak the language, but there is still a feeling that men don't know how to be men, whatever that might mean. And this kind of ties in with the whole toxic masculinity thing. And yeah, so you seem to have a lot of frustrated, frustrated men um, who do have a a sense of entitlement for whatever reason, whether that's from family or society. And uh, it's not actually working that well, because you do have an empowered um, uh, kind of uh, women, Uh, you have empowered women within the community who now understand and Mm -hmm. don't feel the need to be able to settle. And I'm left with the impression that both sides don't really know what they want, right? Especially mm-hmm. on the man side of things in that, yeah, they may, they may think that you know, what, you know, what they believe to be a healthy relationship um, is what's right. And then they get into it and they realize that they're not really that functional within it. And so you essentially have this confused cohort of people regardless of socioeconomic background. And, I, and, and to bring it back to your research, Am I right in saying is what you're saying is that unless there is a channel for men to be able to express how they're feeling, um, this then ends up not just in a toxic space, but in a very dangerous space.
1: Yeah. If, if I describe what you just said, there, yeah, is that what our men are dealing with is three almost contradictory and conflicting elements. The first is, as you said, culture and the first generation elder and predominant kind of cultural kind of expectations and family expectations within that, I suppose, as well. Then you've got what society is doing, what's going on in our mainstream of society. We look at it and we're thinking, oh, I wish that that's in conflict with this the cultural paradigms, i.e. I just want to choose my own partner. I want to have a relationship. I want to get to know someone you know all that i want to date someone or whatever it is yeah a whole range of societal expectations and then you've got the personal okay what i want as a person as a human being what my personal preference is yeah and what i i want to do in my life that i'm being prevented from doing because of society doesn't allow me to do it and culture doesn't allow me to and then we can also throw in a fourth factor but i kind of subsume that within culture which is faith as well and when I talk about culture, the whole culture versus faith thing as well. So you got what religion requires you to do as well. So that's what you're grappling with here. These three elements, which are sometimes in in, in conflict, in you know, in, in, in opposition, which creates crisis for the individual. Now the individual can then say, look, let's let's look at each of the paradigms. I'm just going to do my own thing, go my own way. Forget the culture, forget the family, forget the religion, and forget what society says. That that creates certain challenges. I'm going to follow down the mainstream societal route. I'm going to do what everyone else is doing in the mainstream of society and not just follow my culture and da-da-da-da-da. Okay, and so it's personal and societal. Or, you know what? I submit to the cultural uh, uh, hegemony. I will submit to the autocratic and authoritarian elements of my culture because you know what, I can't challenge my mum and I'm going to go along with it, you know, and then that creates personal schism and societal schism. Yeah. For you. Yeah. So that's, that's what we're talking about, you know, in terms of this kind of dynamic. Yeah. But let me kind of sum it up for you in a really interesting, And I know people are going to get kind of somewhat taken aback, but I'm going to, this is a real talk. You know, I I was at my daughter's graduation from uh, uh, in, in, in the summer. And she graduated from St. Bart's, you know, the the medical school. Yeah. And it was the dentistry class. And I was very impressed when I was there. The optics of it were very impressive Hmm. over the majority of the class were female, which is really impressive. And the majority of those females were Muslim females. You know, I was very impressive to see this. I was really kind of like taken about. Wow. I said, look, this is one of the top medical schools in the whole of the country. This is in St. Paul's Cathedral. And it's impressive, yeah, our daughters, look how well they've done, yeah, mm. and, and a lot of the sisters in hijab and things like this, yeah. And I, it's really great to see that, okay. Of the, of the overall class, obviously, I think there were only, I think, maybe about five white people, okay, in that class, and I think a number of them were foreign students, so I don't know, the vast majority were people from minority backgrounds, which, again, is really impressive, you know. But then I was looking at the guys, the brown guys. You know, these guys, yeah, I feel for these guys, you know. Let me tell you why. Because you're right, your mum groomed you from a young age. My dad is going to be a dentist, and now you're a dentist. You're not – you've lost your freedom. You haven't got any freedom. Of course, some of the guys will, like I said, just have the freedom to do what they're going to do, and and they're not going to fall into that. But there is, I've got to say, uh, let's be honest, a certain proportion of these guys out there who are just – totally objectified and their parents vicariously live through them and they are just there to fulfill the expectations, dreams and aspirations of their, of their mother more, more so than dad and uh, now that they've achieved this, this is their crowning glory, there she's there. In what what mum's doing is not thinking, oh my daughter's a doctor, ka-ching, ka-ching or whatever, yeah, she's thinking, okay, now we're finally going to start to go into the 1% in our community of Chaudhrys. yeah, we're now entering into the Chaudhry realm, yeah, because this, our son will be the gateway for, for this year, and you know she's thinking, who's she going to marry, and they've got to marry her. And, and guess
0: what? They say, oh, "I've got to marry another dentist, of course, yeah. <laughs> well well, listen, listen. so, so look, we've, we've both got daughters at, at university, right. Uh-huh. Um, it's kind of the case that there seems to be this conversation or this attitude amongst uh, Muslim women, which is they might not be that interested in getting married. Right. Which is which is very different from obviously the time when we were younger. Right. Mm. just kind of it was an expectation. So it seems to be that women are deciding that not only do they have their not only not only do they have a particular set of expectations, they don't actually feel that those expectations are going to be met. And hence, they're kind of just parking it and saying, look, not interested in relation
1: let me let me tell you the conversations I have with my nieces and, and obviously you know through my work casework as well women you know obviously in particular women who are called you know educated empowered you know vocationally socially culturally they absolutely do not want to get married they have such a negative view because as I said we're looking at this group of men out there. And I said, I'm looking at, it, I said, this is it. This is what we're offering. Yeah. And, uh, the offering isn't great and women are leaving it later and later and later. And this is also creating kind of real cultural issues as well, social issues for women and mental health issues for women as well. And one of the interesting things that I've done, yeah, is that I, I drafted a marriage contract. It has within it 20 conditions. And these conditions are all around, you know, roles, responsibilities, rights, uh, and, uh, you know, they're all around, you know, how both parties actually have their respective needs met. And in which case, you know, what happens therefore is that there isn't this kind of gray area and and this ambiguity. And, and, And I send it to, you know, people say, look, you know, in, in a Muslim marriage, you know, look, these 20 conditions will help you manage the relationship better. And then it kind of gives them a bit more of a kind of positive view of it because then they realize, you know what, I'm having, you know, a, a mature approach and I'm, this is going to be governed. Now, the reality again here, Imran, is that, you know, when I do these, when I'm doing the and things like this, the vast majority of people, they're not even interested in, in looking at the contract and the social contract and the, uh, rights, responsibilities and formalizing it, you know, they're just kind of skimming over and then they're just going into a relationship with, you know, just, you know, with just kind of this blind idealism or this just complete neglect and no due diligence at all. And uh, I remember even one case where I sent the contract to a guy, he took one look at it. He denied he ever got it. He denied I even sent it to him. Oh, wow. You know why? Because he realized, no, I can't, I'm not going to agree to this stuff. I'm not going to agree to, you know, formally uh, g- give a part of my salary uh, towards the upkeep of the home. I'm not going to formally agree to, uh, what is it, uh, you know, asset distribution post-marriage. I'm not going to formally agree to a compensation clause. No way. He denied he even got it from me, mm-hmm. you know. And, he, and I got email, but he denied that, oh, he said the person never contacted me, you yeah. know. Uh, and I thought that's uh, now come on. She they got married. She's gone into that marriage with a man who just did not want to have a contract. We we, we call it. You know, it's obviously in the mainstream. It's called a prenuptial agreement. Yeah, mm, yeah. But this was an Islamic contract. We've discussed this in in, in previous uh, sessions. Yeah, that no Islam has the the nikah is an akad. It is a contract between two parties, the male and the female. And there are shurut al akad. There are conditions that can be stipulated in the contract. In order, you know, and if those conditions are met, then either party has a right to exit the situation based on the failure to meet the conditions of the contract. That's it in Islam. Totally pragmatic, totally pragmatic, clear identification of roles and responsibilities and and and, 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 and you have this objective criterion. People just don't do it at, at the moment. And I think the reason that that male in particular did not want to do it is because it, it felt it disempowered him and it empowered her. It doesn't both the contract is there to protect both parties. You know, he can stipulate as well. So, for example, if he has a house, you know, he can stipulate, well, it's a 70-30 asset or an 80-20 asset or whatever, however he wants to stipulate the asset. So it's actually protection for him. But, you know, again, men don't get it. You know, if we go back onto what I was saying earlier in the about, this is, the, this is the thing that, you know, we talked about the, the cultural, the social and the personal conflict, and in particular, we're talking about men being left behind in our community. And I think you and I know men like this who have been left behind. There, there, there's another aspect of being left behind, and it's the looks aspect as well. There, there's a lot of lookism, you know. And if that, you know, guy isn't tall enough, a guy isn't, you know, is overweight, maybe, is a guy is, uh, what is it, uh, you know, in, not perceived as attractive in, in the societal sense, guys in shape you know doesn't dress well whatever yeah there's there's a lot of kind of look elements as well within our you know kind of you uh, know in our community as well yeah so what happens to the guys who are left behind who's talking to them in mean and who where do they get the kind of really balanced and meaningful guidance that they need to 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 do deal with them because again one of the, the, the look the what the model that i'm subscribing to is a holistic model i always say and this is the way of our religion that look ultimately what adds value to a male isn't the fact they got a dentistry degree or the fact that they are a six-pack and they're you know, kind of, you know, this kind of real, you know, Prince Chongbing type guy, yeah, with a BMW or top top range car. That's not the value of our community. The, re- the value of our community is in akhlaq and adab. It's in conduct. It's a husn al-kuluk. Noble characteristics and behavior and taqwa. Inna akramakum indullahi atkakum. The best of you in the sight of Allah, not the one on, who's externally uh, external character but internal quality of the heart, you know? So, you know, that's what I say is that ultimately we need to get back to the prophetic way, which is to see the qualities and characteristics of people. And that should be the foundation of what brings them together. And this is where real, values, real value is, real value is in this element. And when you have two people who are on the same values, with the same outlook, with the same manners, with the same conduct, then this creates konu, an environment of peace and tranquility, love and mercy, you know. So that's the model I subscribe to, but I want to go back to you and I want to ask you as well, you know, what I mean, what what about the men left behind? What happens to them in our community? I mean, there are plenty.
0: Well, look, the way the way I, I see it is um, increasingly in life uh, people are living in isolation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, the public space for people to interact with other people, which is so critically important for well-being that yeah. just isn't happening and this is just not just Muslims this is just generally mm-hmm. um, and then you add to that um, these these issues that you raise about men simply not being able to connect with with women um, mm-hmm. and not feeling as if they have any hope and I think that's the danger when you're when you're hopeless um, yeah hopeless you, you, absolutely you can lead to it can lead to essentially a very dark place and you end up going down internet rabbit holes and, you know, let me me
1: give you an example, a guy who's gone and seen loads of girls and he gets rejected every single time. Hmm. Yeah. And the reason he gets rejected, he's a nice guy. You know, the the reason he's getting rejected in me is that materialistically, he's, he's not materialistically meets the standard. Uh, educationally might not meet the standard of the, f- and remember, family comes in and says, "Oh, the has got a good enough job, whatever." Yeah, mm. doesn't meet the look standard. Yeah, but yeah. it's got—it's a great, nice, lovely guy. You know, mm. he's uh, got a lot of other good qualities. The nice guys get left behind, man, a lot of the time. Yeah, and so you know, mm. he's gone seen ex- so many different girls. Yeah, and then what's being offered? They're, oh, get married in Pakistan, get married in Pakistan, and he doesn't want to do that either. Remember, he wants personal choice. You know. Mm. And then he's seeing in society loads of other people moving on and having so called happy marriages. And that's why social media is so problematic here in idealizing relationships mm. and this kind of Instagramization of, of these relationships. And that's why I hate these so called influencer couples. It's just really pathetic, yeah? Mm. You know, because that, that, those influencer couples are that, you know, is that. 20% of male who gets the 80% of females, yeah, and he's there, you know, he's this guy, yeah, and this, this lass, and they have this wonderful lifestyle, it, it's it's not healthy, man, it really isn't healthy, yeah.
0: No, it's it's, 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 it's a bit of a, a humble brag, um, yeah. and, you know, essentially, if you have people who are taking that kind of information in, or that kind of message, um, you know, it can have you know, it can give rise to really negative feelings. And I guess what you're saying is, is that it's the processing of that feelings which leads to kind of potentially very dangerous and lethal. And it, it leads to, even in a
1: mainstream guy who has repeated rejection like this and then fails to meet the hegemonic standard in our community and he just doesn't have all of the, the tools to do it yet, starts going down an increasingly misogynistic Kind of direction, and that's why you see in our community.
0: Well, it's not, it's one it's one of two routes, isn't it? If you're I, if you if you're in that situation, yeah. either you know psychologically you can end up in a very very bad space and end up potentially self harming or suicide, right? You and suicide, I you know. I don't, I don't, and and, and I remember, know. the other thing, sorry, you I mean sorry, I just I've had a load,
1: loads of cases in the last year of men visiting escorts, and these kind of men visiting escorts again is this whole thing around. Muslim men visiting escorts, one, because of obviously just the accessibility through the technology, but secondly as well, you know, it's just that, you know, it's a, it's a kind of transactional, can't get married, I can't do this, I can't do that. This is, I'll do this, I'll make doba afterwards, and that's it. You know, it's almost transactional very much in, in a way, just kind of kind of going off, but sorry, yeah, you were yeah, saying
0: and that. So and so that's one particular route, right? So, Indeed. you know, you can understand that if you're not in a good place, then you're going to get down on yourself. That's one, cho- that's one choice you can make. Mm-hmm. Or you can do the complete opposite. And I guess this is what you're alluding to, which is essentially somebody is to blame for this. And yeah. a lot of the time that blame is targeted at women. And that's how the whole kind of misog- extreme misogynistic incel kind of angle comes in. So it's it's not their fault. It's somebody else's fault.
1: Somebody else's fault, and this is what we call aggrieved entitlement, and when you look at, on a global level, it's like I said, white privileged males who feel lots of privilege, and so therefore they want to go back to a so-called traditional view of the world, where women just kind of play their role, and they, they play their role, and then that kind of fifties type paradigm. And in our community, it goes into a really unhealthy kind of approach to women, yeah, which does, to, you know, which sees women are fitna, and so, because women are fitna, they need to be controlled. And fitna here means, you know, basically... They're a know,
0: they're
1: tribulation. trial, they're a tribunal, they're a temptation. No, danger. No, that no, means danger. It means actually khatrah. They see it more in terms of khatrah. They, The term fitna is from the word fatan, which obviously means, it's a, yes, it is a trial, but it's not the only trial. Many things are, Allah Ta'ala mentions in the Quran, a, you know, fitna, yeah? And uh, anyway, but they see, basically they see women are inherently problematic and problematized that's what it's what it's what it's essentially saying yeah mm. and uh, unless you have this kind of totally idealized view, view of women as, as as he said yeah and so it pushes them down a role that is women's fault increasing misogyny and therefore the solution is to therefore disempower and control women even more and so we find in the mindset of these guys around that they are essentially then go down the route of wanting to control and restrict even more and then even when if they do get married you'll see i had one case this year which was really reflective of this a guy who got married had a lot of insecurities getting married yeah and actually you know this is not breaching any kind of confidentiality the guys are, like i said if it wasn't for the fact that they were a doctor would probably have not got married i'm just going to be saying it. I'm just going to put it out there yeah? if it wasn't the fact that they were like i said a highly paid professional then they would not have got married once in the marriage, the person's really insecure because they realize that I'm only in the, she only married me because of the socioeconomic status that I have, and I haven't got other qualities to maintain it, and he didn't, essentially. So therefore, what did he use? He used emotional abuse, putting her down, putting her down, putting her down, to accentuate his power, control. He wouldn't let her go, X, Y, and Z, don't go here, don't go there, totally controlling manipulating her life. And then it came, uh, in, you know, inevitably, She's gonna stick two fingers at me and say, "You know what? I ain't taking this more." She walked out, and uh, you know, did some sessions with the guy just around him dealing with his own personal anxieties, his insecurities, and the, the insecurities he essentially had was, "You're right. He felt profoundly insecure because he felt, you know, that she didn't really want him for what he was." Yeah, and you know, it, you know, and, and you know, I told him, "Look, no, this is the way that you build meaningful connection and, and you get away from it." And you know, I think they're kind of working at issues at the moment. And that's where you you, you go down that really toxic direction. And now in the past, you didn't have enablers as much as prevalent, you know, but with the Manosphere, we have a massive online ecosystem producing daily content which is viewed by tens of millions of people all over the world. And this content is basically then telling Reinforcing your view of the world that you know what it's not your fault; it's everyone else's fault, and it's women's fault in particular. And and also on these platforms, just the amount of you know total objectification and the put down culture around women. Yeah. Now, I think when we do some more sessions like this, and we can perhaps talk about the different elements. So obviously, we've got the men's rights movement. We've got PUA, pickup artists which are part of the manosphere, yeah. which just say, okay, look, let me just we'll just train men, yeah, to pick up women. But they use a whole range of techniques which are very, very, again, you know, abusive and oppressive techniques, which basically look at women, totally objectify women again. And it's all about putting women down in order to make them feel, okay, you know, you have greater value. Yeah, very psychological and manipulation and exploitive and grooming techniques as well, yeah. And a lot of the guys in the pickup artist space themselves are very, Hideous individuals, you know, there are also individuals who are saying, look, you know, Western industrial, Western societies, women, and obviously feminism has gone too far. So they, you know, talk about, you know, other societies, you know, Russia, Eastern European societies, Far East and all that. They kind of like, like, you know, hold up as how women should be, yeah? And uh, so we've got to pick up artists. Then we've got Magtao, which is men going their own way. Basically men saying, you know what? There's nothing in it for us to, to bring up families. There's nothing in it. And it's happening more in the kind of, you could say Magtow is very much elements of Magtow out there in the mainstream, where men are basically saying, uh, why should I get married? Why should I have children? Why should I give my income up? Why should I do all of this? Mm. Because what's inevitably going to happen in 20 years time or 10, 15 years time, we're going to be divorced. She's going to have all the kids. She's going to have the house. What's the point? So men going their own way is then, this is where it's going from men's rights, pick up artists, to MGTOW, it's increasingly misogynistic, rejectionist, isolationist, and, uh, you know, going down, kind of further down the rabbit's hole of increased violence, leg- leg- legitimacy of violence and abuse and control of women into the Gilead kind of space, yeah, into the uh, Handmaid's tail space. And then it goes into the insult space where you have people who say that, look, involuntary celibates are not, we're not talking about celibacy here as people who choose to be celibate, as a lifestyle or who are asexual and don't have sexual feelings, you know, we're talking about people saying, look, I want to be out there. I want to, you know, be in a relationship. I want to have, be sexually active with, you know, a female, but I'm being denied this by all these societal elements. And in particular, the most, you know, significant of those elements is feminism and women themselves. (laughs) Okay. Mm. Not everything else. Not the fact that they look at themselves and they say, you know what? Uh It's actually, yeah, I just need to improve myself a bit. But and that's why there's another page, place, which is kind of further up the continuum. And you have lots of individuals out there who are producing lots of daily comment content. And, and really, you, you the content is, uh, and obviously, depending on whether it's mainstream platforms, if it's YouTube, then an Instagram and Instagram and Facebook, you know, they stay very much within the upper part of the continuum, which is basically you know men need to wake up and men need to improve themselves and men need to women also need to kind of like realize that you know if you want to get a top top you know high value man that you've got to get your ideas up as well so you know it's in that space again you have certain people i don't want to name names because i don't want to kind of like channel anyone towards these yeah you know we've got people who produce daily content that get millions and millions of views which basically advocate this and i also found a really interesting thing as well you know emmy with this as well was that you know this these are a group of people group of men in this space who uh, are trying to do this kind of self-improvement and and obviously a lot of them lack kind of you could say the qualifications and the economic means to do so and so this is where it also latches on to other things that that are problematic crypto uh, you know, you guys find these guys going on about crypto all the time, and, and get rich quick schemes, multi-level marketing schemes. They all appeal to this group of very disaffected males. And you know, multi-level marketing is really, unfortunately, always kind of it gets a lot of uh, uh, coverage in our, our our communities with people in our communities. You know, and I've I've seen people go down the rabbit hole of multi layer marketing schemes and pyramidal schemes and all these other Ponzi schemes, yeah. Total denial that these are haram and that that this is actually a complete scam because they just want to believe that they can get that, you know, top of the food chain status because you can't get it, they can't get it in the real world so they're thinking that, and, and that's why multi-level marketing really as a psychological manipulation and exploitation tool, yeah, it uses the insecurities of men to actually get them to buy into multi-layer marketing and crypto, obviously a whole range of crypto-related kind of you guys, you see these guys talking about crypto all the time, get rich quick schemes, yeah, where they feel then I mean that that they that this gives them an entitlement. Oh, i and and then when the crypto and the multi-layer marketing, now I mean this is real, man. They put they invest in their lives, their blood sweat and tears, their hopes more than anything else, aspirations into multi-layer marketing schemes and these ridiculous cryptocurrencies, scams. And then guess what? They don't get anything from it and they are even further behind about being left behind. You know, I I have clients like this who, you know, really are, they go to the gym and can't make it out in the gym, can't get a six pack or whatever, you know, steroid use, body image, body dysmorphia, substance misuse, a lot of toxicity that's going on here in me and guess what they're never going to talk about it and tragically you know a certain pro- a proportion of men not just in our community in the mainstream level will just end it you know because that's it this is just too bleak too dark too
0: no hope no point and yeah no, there, there is um there is an irony here yeah in talking about Essentially, in this context, uh, Muslim men, not knowing how to be men, in that we kind of have the best role model. Absolutely, that's the whole point. I agree. I totally agree with it. This, this, this is the great irony when when you know when I think about issues related to faith, you know yeah. that, that word's very easy to trip off the tongue. Faith, right? But ultimately, it means your effective relationship with Allah. And our relationship with Allah is, uh, you know, determined um, or is expressed through the personhood of the Prophet, sallallahu right? right. Yeah. And why do you think there is such a huge disconnect between people who are, you know, act- actively profess the faith? It's not like it's just a cultural yeah, yeah, faith. Yeah. They are actively consider themselves to be, quote-unquote, practicing Muslim men. Right. Why is there such a disconnect here?
1: You see, I mean, you're right. And, and that, that's how I finish this whole discussion when I talk to males who are affected by this space. I say, who is the ultimate man who walked on the face of this earth? And then they scratch their heads and they say, oh, yeah, it's the Prophet, He's uswatun hasana for us. He's the best example that we have to emulate and really aspire towards. Yeah. And he embodies everything, every quality holistically that we need whether it's to be a family man, a husband, a leader, a warrior, a businessman, a teacher, a guardian, benefactor, whatever it is, every facet of our masculine behavior can be modeled. So if your father was never a good enough model, you don't need your father as a role model. Ultimately, you have the prophetic model, alhamdulillah. And then not only that, you have all the other ambiyan, who also exemplify these these, uh, exemplary qualities, yeah? Uh, the point of the matter is this, yeah, obviously, from a kind of theological level, we don't make it real. No one is really instructed formally in this matter. It's just kind of ritual and it's kind of almost superficial. And it's, you're right, people don't go into one de- the real depth of it, because there are, you know, the reality is no one, not many people are instructed in how this is about character and, and development. Next is that the role models we have are just not good enough okay and the third thing is the perversion and distortion of theology from a male centric lens by scholarship who then use this not as a methodology for improvement and self-development but for a methodology of control and manipulation and and that's so that's part of the problem you know you go to a, a scholar and the scholar will just give their narrative and you won't challenge that. And that's it. And if they are themselves a particular cultural paradigm, then, you know, you're going to get their cultural paradigm. You're not going to get what we call real instruction. So, yeah, let's that's, that's absolutely face it. That, you know, we have, you know, elements within our community who reinforce very, very negative, you know, cultural, personal, social kind of uh, paradigms, which, again, have ne- negative views around towards women, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, that's that's why, unfortunately, it's a bit of a mess here when it comes to it. And we don't have a real talk and, and real mentoring and guidance based on the prophetic masculinity, you know, what it means to be orijal, a real man in Islam, you know. I've got a program that I'm going to be delivering this year at Felton Young Offenders Institute, which is called the Real Man Program, being a real man program. And it's exactly that. It's uh, Obviously, it's, you know, there are a lot of Muslim kids, unfortunately, in Felton. So for those kids, you know, you kind of give it a bit more of a culturally competent perspective, yeah. But the point of the matter is, it's just helping these kids to deal with these elements. One, deal with their mental health issues, deal with what it really means to be masculine, not the, the, the kind of construct that they've had. And then obviously to understand how to build meaningful relationships, you know, really meaningful, healthy, caring, supporting, empathetic, compassionate relationships, as the Prophet ﷺ did. On a societal level, you know, and for most of these guys, you know, I did a session yesterday, Imran. Yeah, it's not rocket science. They've because the, the, what it is is that Imran, they've never ever had a, a positive male role model in their life, mm. and they've never had a real talk with a guy around these issues. It's all bravado. It's all acting up. It's all, you know, uh, you know, people thinking they're alpha. And this whole notion of what it means to be alpha in our community is ridiculous anyway as well, because the ultimate, we don't, I don't even like using the term alpha. It's a kind of, you know, social, you know, uh, you know, Darwinistic evolutionary kind of concept. Yeah. Mm. You know, we have, we don't use the term alpha. We use the term prophetic masculinity. We use the term of that, you know, that the prophet is the ultimate, you know, and compare yourself to him and what the, the, the quality that allah uses to define the prophet للعالمين, he came as a mercy to all the worlds and he was selfless he gave more than he ever received and he served his family and humanity more than anything else yeah that's masculinity man there you go three attributes of it and he was a person of ultimate justice never being oppressive towards anyone Al and uh and softness as Allah describes Ibrahim a.s. as well softness forbearance forgiveness empathy compassion you know where do we see these as the scriptures of if you just use these as descriptors of masculinity within our community it's seen as profoundly weak you know and uh, oh you can't get you know you, you're never going to get anywhere if you have those qualities yeah you know instead what we have and the cultural level is like I said, this idea of status, position, conspicuous wealth—you know, profession, money—yeah, these these are the things, you know. So, know.
0: you know, it's easy to get um, uh, to feel hopeless as a community when you hear about all of the problems, right? And just generally in society, there's a whole ton of problems Uh, but I guess the reality with this is that uh, it's almost like it it is a ticking time bomb I mean it's kind of exploding anyway but as time goes by this isn't getting any better and Mm. I've always said this to you which is you know mashallah the work that you do is incredible right in Mm. in in so many different spaces but you're a bottleneck Mm. you know there is I don't know, know I'm sure there are others right but I don't know anybody who's working in this capacity. Now, that's not me just kind of bigging you up or anything. That's me asking you, like, clearly, this is this is bigger than you. You're not going to be able to, to deal with this issue across, you know, the community, you know, even in this country, probably even in a city, right? So how can we transition to a point whereby yeah. you know, these types of courses are established, they're well-funded, they're well-marketed, right? And they are hitting... People at the right points in their lives in order to affect long term change.
1: Yeah, you see, Imran, you know what it is—is is this year that uh, I've been—I've been dealing with the issue around substance misuse and drugs in our community. I'm doing tomorrow's khutbah is actually on drugs again because of a particular incident that happened in Bradford. Yeah, I did research uh, with Lord Kamlesh Patel in 2000 around substance misuse in our community it was part of a national NHS program. And we identified very endemic levels of substance misuse and drug supply in our community up and down from Blackburn all the way to Southampton, all over the country where where there are Muslim communities and diverse, you know, people from Bain backgrounds as well. That's 20 years ago, 22 years ago that research came out. We haven't acted on that. Then, as you know, I've been a very strong advocate of mental health for 30 years. And even today, although the mental health message is getting out there, it's still maybe just to about 20% of our community, that we're building an awareness around mental health. And, you know, I think, and I'm out there this weekend, for example, I'm in London, I'm delivering this seminar, actually, at yeah, a mosque in, in West London on, on Sunday. So there are pockets where people are receptive. Uh, but overwhelmingly, Iran, and I'm talking about 90% of the Muslim space is just not receptive to this at all. And I think it comes down to the fact that you have to have celebrity status, maybe, or you have to, you know, that you just have to be very populist in our community. You don't talk about problems. You only have to be talking about how we're a wonderful, amazing example. And, you know, you don't talk about problems at all, yeah? And, uh, and people are massively in denial these things are happening because if you face the reality, you've got to do something about it and you've got to put resources, at, you know, to ad- address the issue. What let's just minimize these issues. And by minimizing them, what we do is that you know, we just kinda of like keep on brushing on the car. Not there. And I'm working at Feltham Young Offenders. Majority of kids in Feltham Young Offenders are are from a Muslim background. Over 50% of them are Muslim kids in over
0: Feltham
1: fi- Over 50%. Over 50%. I've got the facts, of figures, it's there. 30% 30% of the kids are Somali. It's crazy. You know? And you know what? All I hear is, oh, because the criminal justice system is, is institutionally racist. Yes, okay, I agree. The criminal justice system, I know it is. But then what are we doing to still stop our youngsters ending up in that space? You know, this also, the rise in the criminal culture is linked to all of these issues around failure. You know, what we've got, when I talk to these kids, they say, well, look, you know, I haven't got any qualification. I haven't got this. I haven't got that. I haven't got a job. I, haven't got, I mean, I was... I can't work a minimum wage, I want a lifestyle. The only way I'm gonna do it is through this. It's literally the only way that they feel that they can gain some form of material uh, value in society, which then equals sexual value, you know? That's it, that's the only thing, the only way they're they're doing it. And, And I said it before and people didn't like it, I said people joining ISIS again tend to be, there are a category of people who are not ideologically driven, they're not doing it, they're doing it because they have basically no stake in society and then they're offered a massive stake elsewhere. And, and numerous cases of these guys going around who now take on a particular persona and then it accentuates their value. Okay, you know, and and you know, the, this is a hadith the Prophet said whoever who migrates for the dunya or for a woman, yeah? So it says that people are, are motivated by material and uh by uh, you know the need as the material is linked to the sexual marketplace it's a really amazing concept yeah but anyway you know so going back to your question i'm out i'm ready uh, Amy, to mentor to try you know i'm not here to just sit on this issue like i said i've done a massive amount of research on the manosphere i've put together a a big educational program around it i'm currently going around delivering these to practitioners all over over the place yeah and i'm delivering your program like i said the one in felton and uh but within our own community you're right no one's going to resource it no one's going to you know so the the sessions that i'm doing at mosques at the moment no one pays for it i just i'm doing this because i have to do it and because it's got no value then because they don't put a financial value on it i don't think they really truly overvalue it as well and you know some people obviously recognize the value of what we're doing but many people will just pay lip service to it and uh, until some celebrity comes along and then starts talking about it and then it gets a bit of traction yeah within within our community you know so yeah you know it, it it's not for want of trying here you know it's basically that you know our community, unfortunately, is really deflecting, minimizing and in denial of, of these issues. Now, the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, is very clear from hudayfa you know, ibn al-Yaman. He says, many you people used to ask the Prophet ﷺ, about the khayr, about the good. I used to ask about the of the evil, for fear that it may catch hold of me. So what it means on a strategic level, my work around projecting what's going to happen in the next 20 years, now the manosphere is out there, Muslim kids are actually pulling into the manosphere, And actually just to give you the reason why I started to research the manosphere, a mother approached me and said, my son is being influenced by this material. And I thought, okay, you know what? That's quite serious. So, and then started having a lot of hatred for his mother because he said, it's mum, it's your fault. You couldn't keep dad, dad left. And that's why we're in this mess. Okay. Mm. You know, not the fact that dad was not a very good person. Yeah. OK, but mum's fault, all the ha- hatred towards mum and the Plymouth shooting. The first person he killed was his mother as well. Now, the point is, then I say, oh, OK, this is this is, you know, very close to home. And so I said, let me find out more about how the manosphere is affecting. And then, you know, started my quite in-depth research in this particular area. So like i said we're doing this research because it's affecting our communities and it will continue to affect our communities. And I believe it affects our communities more so than the mainstream because of some of the dynamics within our community. But again, we're fire, fighting so many fires, some of which I'm afraid in our community, we're generally in this kind of very reactive mode. And, and we build a lot of our infrastructure based on really kind of on quicksand, you know, you know, if you want to set up a mosque, let's just say people love to set, and build the building. Yeah. What they don't build is the vision, and what they don't build is the mission, and what they don't build is the actual ability to actually deliver what they have. So I'll give you an example. Some in mosques don't even have an imam, you know, who's got the skills to do, you know, might just lead the prayer and that's about it, mm. but not not qualified to do pastoral care, counseling, engagement work, all of the other stuff that is required of an imam, you know. Uh, nor can they run workshops. Sometimes they can't even pay their own bills, you know. And they can't then attract quality. They have other challenging issues around governance and everything else. So you can you, you set it up, but you're not able to deliver it or run it yet. Yeah? And then we expect them to be running forward-thinking uh, workshops. And then there's this other thing. You see, mean I get paid by local authorities who, you know, want to engage Muslim communities on on particular agendas. Okay, and, and you're not talking about prevent here. Lots of other things, yeah. But the mere fact that you know, obviously, we generally you have to go cap in hand to public sector. You know, and then there's this resentment, oh, we don't want to go and take money from other people. We don't want them scrutinizing our organizations. There are so many issues here. But then I'll give you an example with the Need for Weed program that I delivered first with a Muslim charity who kind of like funded me to deliver, I think something like 20 sessions. It was good, we went all over the country delivered about 20 sessions, it had really good impact. But it wasn't sustained. Uh, and now when you ask a a mosque or an organization look, you know just pay cost rate to come for us to come and deliver this workshop need for weed you know substance misuse workshop for your young people they won't even pay the basic cost rate which is about 200 quid they won't even do that. that 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 in itself is ridiculous and then you want to then move on to more comprehensive personal development and empowerment programs you know which are you know, 10, 12 modules and things like this, you know, come on, you know, it's it's just, you know, it's ridiculous here. And then those mosques, which are in middle class areas, where perhaps the people will recognize that, will pay for stuff, and in more working class and, and, you know, impoverished areas, they won't, which creates creates the same thing, we have this two-tier system in our community of privileged Muslims and middle class affluent Muslims, and then obviously in the Muslim heartlands, which are sometimes often kind of underdeveloped, yeah. So, you know, I'm looking for a solution, but all I can say is this, I'll continue to do what I'm doing and I'll continue to engage and people need access to my work. And I'm happy to provide it. And interestingly, I've got, you know, when I go to Sweden and I work in Malmo, which obviously has a very large Muslim community as well, I get more traction in Malmo than I get in the UK. <laughs>
0: Well, you got what you paid for. I did say it was going to be a meandering conversation. I think we got there in the end, went around the houses a little bit. But uh, I tried to include it as pretty much it was recorded, cut out a couple of bits, which kind of the beginning and the end where we kind of preamble, postamble. But you've got got the essence of, of our discussion. And the idea now is maybe to record further episodes which are more kind of specific relating to this particular area of the manosphere. But I'm not going to make any promises, which I, I know it's unlike me. Normally I say what's going to come next. I'm going to resist that. Um, I just need to make sure that my diary and Elias's diary match up. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, or if you simply like to take part, you just need to get in touch. DivorcedMuslimDad at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter, at M-O-I-A-Z-A-M. And just to give you an idea, you may have picked up there are essentially two kinds of people that I have on this podcast. Number one is a subject matter expert, for example, Ilyas. And the second are people with personal stories. And they are equally important, because we have to tell those personal stories, we relate to those personal stories. So if that's you and you're happy with your story being in the public domain, in such a way that is going to potentially help people because they're able to connect with your story and uh, and learn from it, then please do get in touch. Just a couple of quick things before you go. Number one, if you're enjoying this, then why not share it with somebody you think might benefit? Just think of one person and share it with them. Secondly, it's been a while since I've actually had a review on the app store. There aren't many, to be honest, um, not compared to the number of listeners. So why don't you go on there and put your name up in lights um, and hopefully say something positive uh, about the podcast. Anything negative, you can just email me. Don't, don't, there's no need to put it on the app store. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening. Speak to you soon. alaikum.